This is KOS The Scientist, and the title of this episode is AI, Five Factors and the New Draco. So we're going to dive right in to this important subject I'm really excited about. It's been in my mind for about two months to do an episode on this topic. So artificial intelligence, you know, up until ChatGBT last year, essentially, that it was considered a lot of hype, right? People have been talking about artificial intelligence for 10 years, and it was actually associated with grift, scammers, people using this term to hook people, consumers thinking they're getting artificial intelligence, investors thinking that the product is artificial intelligence. But these companies and the grifters and the scammers They're telling people they have true artificial intelligence, but it's fake. It's mostly hype. So artificial intelligence is not really respected at the consumer level and institutional level. It's not taken very seriously until ChatGPT appears. ChatGPT, let's just call it the profit of artificial intelligence. So ChatGPT drops a bomb on the world And a lot of computer scientists, engineers, journalists, marketers, there's a consensus in terms of, wow, you know, if this is the beginning of the product in terms of as it's released to the public, this thing has a lot of potential and I can find value in it right now. So the product was dropped on the market by OpenAI in terms of chat GPT, and it was a bomb dropped on the global economy. And I'm talking about not just at the business and institutional level, I'm talking about at the government level. So governments, China, Russia, Japan, different countries around the world are looking at this and because they see it as the potential to be an arms race. If there's a specific country that gains extraordinary advantage with this AI technology, this could be very disruptive in terms of our politics, our economy, our competitiveness. So AI is becoming a dominant factor in the global economy. So it's actually factored into the political science that is out there in terms of, you know, the study of how governments relate to each other and how they're managing their their affairs, AI is in that conversation too. And essentially it's an arms race, not just businesses, not just professionals trying to advance their career and get a competitive edge. This is at the military and government level. And this stuff is getting respected more and more. You know, one of the stories that caught my attention recently is the strike out in Hollywood. So Netflix, I think this really captures at a high level what's going on. So Netflix puts out a job ad for $900,000 while the unions, the actors, the the writers, the unions are fighting for a better deal, better compensation. And the unions, they're worried about AI. Like we should be worried about, concerned about AI from a offensive or defensive perspective. So the unions are very concerned how this AI is coming in and they're very smart because look at it. If if Hollywood that has 
most of these companies have a lot of debt underneath them, right? If they're looking to save money and get more efficient with this AI, it's going to come at the expense of the different writers and graphic designers and animation artists and actors, you know, script writers. So the, there's going to be friction between the AI technology and the labor. And, you know, I don't know if you're familiar with the pricing of the voiceover market, for example. So I hired a voiceover artist and a really good one is expensive, right? I was shocked, thousands and thousands of dollars. But now, you know, this, I use the union person, you know, they're talking about the union rates and this and that. And now they have AI options where the little person, the little small business, you can get a very, very professional voiceover, a reading for a video, a commercial. I'm talking about high quality with a very strong, authentic voice. You can get that pretty cheap right now. So, you know, there's going to be friction with this disruption going into the economy, because if I can hire a AI engineer and specialist to figure out how I can reduce my expenses, reduce my union and labor costs, which projects to invest in, this AI weapon, right, it's going to have a lot of consequences for the labor in terms of the Hollywood economy. The, the economy is going to want to work. Hey, I'm used to getting a check. I barely can pay my rent. But the people using the AI, they don't care about any of that stuff. They don't care about any type of disruption, how it impacts, you know, the the single mother or the, the family that's relying on that you know, studio set check or Hollywood check, the AI and the people managing this stuff, they're not interested in all that, right? They're interested in how can the AI get me from point A to B at a significant lower cost, get me to point A and B a lot faster. So it's going to be pushing a lot of human beings out the paint. Okay. I'm talking about potentially at mass scale in terms of some of the projections. For example, Goldman Sachs, they're projecting that AI is going to either replace or significantly change 300 million uh, jobs. Their economists are projecting a, a very, very big impact. And uh, let me just pull this report. You can go on the Goldman Sachs website or you can search in Google, generative AI could raise global GDP by 7%. In this report, one of the things that they highlight is two-thirds of occupations could be partially automated by AI. So that's two-thirds. So in terms of the prediction of 300 million jobs or you know, two-thirds of occupations could be partially automated by AI, some of these predictions are very aggressive in terms of AI's impact on the jobs, right? Let's say that these predictions are 70% wrong and they're 30% right. That's still a really, really big deal. And it's something that I believe we really need to be paying attention to as this new technology and the impact develops. So another thing I want to highlight is AI's real impact on private investment in the stock market. Okay. So to properly 
measure how much things are being impacted right now. Not a forecast, not somebody's telling me five, 10 years, but what's going on right now? The stock market is on fire in part with a lot of challenges out there. It's on fire in part because of this gold rush with AI. So Microsoft, Google, Facebook, Amazon, these big companies, right? They have responses to the AI developments. And of course, Microsoft has a big, really big partnership with OpenAI and ChatGPT, where it's integrated in the Bing search engine. A lot of investors like that. And so if the companies that dominate proportionally the stock market indexes, right? Your Microsoft, your Meta, Facebook, you know, your Alphabet, Google, and another hype AI stock, NVIDIA, which is completely on fire. I mean, this thing is, is, is tearing up the place, benefiting from the chips that they produce that are optimized for AI. They're AI chips, essentially, in terms of how the market is looking at what they're developing. So these companies that dominate the stock market indexes are helping the stock market go up. And not only is AI a major factor in this recent bull run of the stock market this year, a dominant factor, the private investment, right? Startups and venture capital, you know, a lot of that fluff and bubbleness has been popped, right? The money is stopping for most of the market. There's no money there like the bubble before, not even close. However, if your business is attached to an AI theme or has an AI theme, people are generally picking up the phone if it's a decent idea. So marketing AI, human resources AI, health AI, CRM AI, chip AI, whatever you can think of is it's AI, right? The private investment market is generally, they're taking a look at a lot of AI projects. And so the Stanford AI index out of Stanford University, they peg the AI investment since 2021 in the private market, not in the public market. They're pegging it at, I believe, $92 billion. However, that was in March. Based on the pacing of the investment, it's over $100 billion now. So there's a lot of investment activity under the AI theme. So between the public market and the private market, it's now a dominant factor in the economy. Okay, so let's establish that and say, hey, is AI political? It is political if we consider that as long as the stock market is supported and possibly helps, it possibly helps avoid a recession and it's generating, you know, it's stimulative in the economy, the stock market, it's holding things up with relatively high interest rates, that helps Joe Biden. So AI is political in the sense that, hey, AI is blowing up so fast and so positively for the stock market and is on a lower level private investment and jobs that it could factor into the next election. Okay, if that stock market is, is going crazy or America doesn't fall into a recession, 
then that's very favorable for Joe Biden. And I would say AI could be a big factor in that result. And that's how big a deal it is. So, you know, in terms of factoring into elections, the stock market, China and different governments are rapidly investing in AI. India governments have a response to this. So the big picture here is that AI is becoming a real deal. I'm not saying it's not 50% hype and 50% real. I'm saying right now, the reality is it's becoming a more dominant factor into the society and the economy, private investment, the stock market, and politics. So I want to go on to use cases. Okay, so one venture capitalist from Bedrock, his name is Geoff Lewis. So he's saying that people shouldn't go to law school. This assumes, it depends on why you're going to law school, but let's say you're going for conventional reasons where you want to get you know, a job at a law firm and you want to become a lawyer. But he's saying that that trajectory is all upside down, of course, because he's saying that from his perspective as a venture capitalist, the people he's talking to they're already using chat GPT for contracts, for different legal stuff. And for the legal profession to be turned further upside down in terms of the debt and professional prospects, you don't need lawyers all to be replaced or the majority of lawyers to be replaced. What's going to happen is let's look at a legal bill, right? Let's say there's a lawyer out there charging $600 an hour. If the AI technology and tools can reduce that bill from 600 to 300, where it's a hybrid of I'm getting artificial intelligence plus human. So with the hybrid, I reduce the bill possibly 50%. I get human plus AI. Then the lawyer does not have enough legal practices, particularly on the high end. They would not be able to survive if these legal bills are cut, right, with the impact of AI, because their profit margins are not going to be high enough to defend, in a lot of cases, the AI trends, the AI technology, the AI innovation. And so they're going to have to respond, most likely, by integrating AI and possibly lowering their prices. And it could be a race to the bottom where the legal profession Geoff Lewis, you know, he's saying it's in big trouble. This is his quote in an interview on CNBC. I talk to folks who spend thousands of dollars a week on legal bills, he said in an interview on CNBC. They're already using chat GPT to generate complex contracts. Lewis, the founder and managing partner of Bedrock Capital, is now offering young people some grim guidance. Do not go to law school. And this brings up a study by... Uh, Chat GPT and the University of Pennsylvania. What they've discussed in this research report, so the research report is called GPTs are GPTs, an early look at the labor market impact potential of large language models. And the report came out March 27, 2023. And of course, that's OpenAI and the University of Pennsylvania. So what they came up with was, you know, there's different occupations and sectors in the economy 
And we're going to take a look at some of the, the occupations that have a high exposure rate to AI. And so mathematicians, tax preparers, they're at 100% exposure, financial quantitative analysts, writers and authors, going back to the Hollywood stuff, 100%. Web and digital interface designers, 100%. Right now, I design landing pages and test landing pages in terms of digital marketing myself, and I'm using AI tools in terms of, hey, you know, you develop eight different landing pages or 15 different landing pages, and the AI is going to, to tell you which one you, you need to actually show to the user. Of course, these tools are out there live for small businesses, medium-sized, large businesses, and individuals to, to use. But it's saying web and digital interface designers at 100%, writers and authors, 100%, mathematicians, 100%, tax preparers, 100%. So, you know, interpreters and translators, 82%, public relations specialists, 80%, interpreters and translators, 76%. Poets, lyricists, and creative writers, 68%. And so this is how they get to the exposure rate. Occupations with the highest exposure according to each measurement. Exposure percentages indicate the share of an occupation's tasks that are exposed to GBTs or GPT-powered software, where exposure is defined as driving a reduction in time it takes to complete the task by at least 50%. So... There's significant parts of the economy that are estimated to be ran over. Some people down the road, they may not be in trouble right now, but Geoff Lewis is saying legal and, and legal popped out to me as well as they're going to get that cranium busted. The legal profession is going to get busted up. Their head going to get busted up to the white meat because even myself, you know, there are some basic contracts where if you go to chat GPT, you say, hey, do I want for the type of engagement I'm looking at, do I want to spend two, $3,000 with a lawyer or come up with something simple based on the magnitude or, or the level of the project, right? I don't want to pay something high for something kind of small time, right? Or something very, it's, it doesn't have a lot of nuances in it. And so what Geoff Lewis is saying, of course, is the legal profession that pops out as being very vulnerable to this disruption. And so another area is graphics, right? The AI is going to be able to do, or it, it does now graphics and animation where I don't have to go to school. I don't have to spend years, right? I have the the libraries in terms of the images and and all the kind of factors that you would need, I can have the AI help me do the animation. I can have the AI help me create cartoons and videos on YouTube where I don't have a graphics background, but the AI is my graphics background. It is my graphics education. I'm going to speed this process a lot faster and it's going to look nice, right? So graphics is a, a, a use case. And a example is right now you can go, you can use AI tools and say, Hey, you know, I want a picture of, you know, Whitney Houston, Prince and, and Michael Jackson together. I want a t-shirt. 
I want to design first an image of Prince Michael Jackson and Whitney Houston. And I'm going to use this tool and it's going to give me the three of them together in the setting that I want. Okay. And I'm going to go sell t-shirts with that. I'm going to go maybe put some words on it and I'm going to connect into Amazon. And now I have a t-shirt business. I have no graphic design experience at all, but I know which tools to use. It takes me 10 minutes to have possibly five different concepts where I'm now I'm selling t-shirts, original t-shirts. I don't have to pay any licensing or anything potentially. And I'm selling these t-shirts. And so there are many ways that AI can really crush the graphic designer. Okay. And it could be very beneficial for the consumers, particularly folks in small business who don't have a lot of money. These tools could be really useful in terms of, in terms of lowering the barrier of entry. So the next thing is voice, voiceover. Of course, we talked about that music. So you're now seeing AI generated music. So some artists are developing beats and lyrics and the AI is putting the voice that you choose over it and they're pumping that into the into the Spotify's, into the streaming platforms, Amazon Music. So there are folks who are creating music, promoting it, and it's AI. I'm going to write this rap song and I'm going to develop a beat. AI is going to give me the beat that I'm looking for. And then now I can become a music artist, but it's not my voice. Our AI is, is optimizing my voice. So AI potentially could be very disruptive in the music industry. Also, if you have all these AI generated songs, right? These streaming platforms become a lot more crowded. It's, it's harder to get noticed if people are just on the computer producing a hundred songs a day and they're all in Spotify, right? It gets a very crowded to get my stuff noticed if I'm not a, a big star. So AI potentially could be very disruptive in the music industry where anybody can now, you know, develop a song, put a, a nice beat on it. And my stuff as an artist is in Spotify and the major platforms. So marketing, you know, you can go to chat GPT and, you know, I suggest you start with the free version. And then if you like the tool, go on to the upgraded version, which I believe is $20 a month. And you could say, Hey, what's the best title for this newsletter content, this headline or this, this content, I want to send something out in my newsletter. Well, chat GPT is going to consider some marketing factors and techniques that have been proven to work. It will spit out and edit what's the proper content programming or headline, not the proper, but what's the suggested headline or content that most likely is going to be more effective than what you can do on your own, particularly if you don't have a lot of experience. Hey, chat GPT, that brain can factor in what are the recommendations from the marketing science out there uh, where we can collect all the information and now we can program what's going to be the best marketing suggestion for you to get the result that you need. So AI, of course, is being used 
in marketing and content, where essentially, if you have a particular data set, you know, for example, websites, they use Google Analytics in terms of it'll tell you, you know, which content is producing the most engagement. You know, it's what are the times that people on your site the most with AI, thinking that if you were to connect the APIs of your Google Analytics and chat GPT, right? And let's say there was an interface and you would ask it questions in terms of about things you want to know about how to better program content or market your content. Now you have the computer systems and the AI giving you answers in terms of this is where things are going. And so, you know, you may remember that movie Weird Science, I believe in 1985, where the, the geeks in the movie, the nerds in the movie, they were feeding the computer what they wanted to program into their dream woman, okay, in terms of her body type and how she thought, and they were feeding it information. Well, that's just how the AI works. So the AI is scraping the internet and it has certain rules in terms of hierarchies of which information, depending on the source, to value the most. And it's constantly being fed information to increase its intelligence. Okay. And so it's being taught over time how to think, how to think about marketing, how to think about music or writing scripts for movies. So they have you know, engineers and strategists within these different subjects, helping that brain become smarter and smarter. So the next thing I want to jump to is AI in Black America. So one of the, the purposes is to try to get us either ahead of the curve or close the gap with the curve in terms of where things are going. Right. So a lot of people, of course, hey, I'm working all day. There's so much information out there. People saying this, people saying that. But my goal is for this podcast to be one of your sources, right, to close that gap in terms of getting to the curve or ahead of the curve. Okay. And so, you know, why AI is really important is that there's ways where AI could be used against Black Americans specifically, even if there's not malintent, right? There's ways that if this big thing is developing in the economy, right, and different people are using it and there's not any regulations, right, we don't have a government. There's no government department that says, okay, let's see how this AI is impacting Black Americans. So there's nothing in the government that we have that protects us. There's nothing that's that's connected to the government that's going to say, we need to be looking out for this. We need to be doing this in terms of these big changes are happening. What about us, right? Nobody's really checking for us, okay, in terms of within the U.S. government, right? Silicon Valley and startups, Obama was all you know, giggling with them and having dinners with all the Silicon Valley CEOs, Mark Zuckerberg and, you know, the Chairman Smith at, at Google, and he's all in the club. 
but this economy is creating all this wealth and it's impacting different groups in different ways. But there's nobody at the government level that's really looking at how are these changes impacting black Americans specifically, right? Look at how this money's being distributed where less than 1% of the capital is going to black Americans. Who's checking for that? So if these big changes are happening really, really fast and this wealth is being distributed in, in many cases, maldistributed, right? Who's looking out for us? It's not going to be Barack Obama. It's not going to be the Democratic Party. There would need to be voices, organizations, and institutions and media platforms that really start covering this stuff like a cop would, like a cop on the street, where we're looking at this stuff not only as a way to play offense in terms of our careers, our organizations, our businesses. We need to be playing defense too, and we need people just looking after us, okay? And so if AI is going to be the next big technological wave, and of course there's billions and billions betting on just that, we're going to need thinking on this as it relates to Black America specifically. And so... You know, with that, with that said, I want to highlight that there are free courses that would allow you to get up to speed on AI with no coding experience. It doesn't require any coding experience. And then there's paid courses out of the University of Texas and Purdue that also have courses in AI. And, you know, one thing to, to look up in terms of if you're interested in possibly exploring a career transition or pivot into this hot sector, right? The media is a business where you're going against the wave. If you're in AI, you're going with the wave, right? And so there's a lot of industries out there where things are going to be working against you. If you attach yourself to what's popping, you know, what's expected to grow, professionally, organizationally, your probabilities and odds are going to be a lot better. But, you know, University of Texas and Purdue, they have paid programs, but definitely you want to check out some free courses. If you go to scienceversspook.com, you subscribe to the mailing list. We're going to send out some tips and tools that you can use right now. Some of the best tools out there in terms of AI, how to learn about AI. So if you subscribe to the Science for Spooks subscriber list. Of course, we'll send this email out over the next two weeks. So the next thing I want to go to is Africa. What does Africa got to do with AI? Quite a bit in terms of how I'm looking at it. So I'm going to the Economic History Society. Nicholas Radbaum from Lancaster University, his research. But he highlights in his research, by the mid-18th century, gunpowder was so essential in the slave trade that Britons could not acquire captives without it. So there is a hypothesis out there. It's called the gun-slave hypothesis. And it's the longstanding idea that European gunpowder technology played a key role in growing the transatlantic slave trade. So it's not just about, you know, the, the, the kings and the tribes 
trading for guns and helping the Europeans capture slaves uh, are, you know, trading with the European powers for guns are just the Europeans just going out right and going capturing the, the slaves. But also it's the economic impact where if you're producing the gunpowder, right, and you're producing the gun, right, you are making money as a manufacturer of something that people need and people want. So it's not just about, hey, I can defeat my ops at that time, one tribe and another tribe, one tribe, hey, we're not with this. You guys over there are with the European powers, right? And we're fighting, but I don't have a gun. You with the Europeans, you got a gun, right? So you could see that technological disadvantage could potentially factor into a whole lot of generational trauma and impact and death, okay? So when there's technological disparity and there's greed in the mix and there's people who are looking to take over stuff and, and make money, okay, white and black, okay, white and the black partners as the op, that the technological disparity, you can't defend yourself. You don't even see what's coming if you're asleep, right? So the Chinese, they invented gunpowder in the gun, but the Europeans are modernizing the gunpowder in the gun at a rapid rate, okay? So if a people do not level up and get smart, right, about this invention by the Chinese, right, and what people could potentially be doing, it could become a threat to us, right? It, it could lead to a massive impact or a massive factor on the outcomes of the future generations in terms of, hey, if we don't level up with this technology, offense and defense, economics and military, if we don't level up, then it goes to a holocaust for our people, okay? I'm not saying that that's the deciding factor. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that the research is pointing to technological disparity as being an important factor in terms of the African holocaust, where people just come and take over everything, enslave you, and you don't got anything. You don't even, you don't even control your own country anymore. So- the question here is, if artificial intelligence is like the gunpowder, it's like the gun, and it's modernizing very fast, some people are going to become more powerful. Some groups are going to become more powerful. They have exposure. They know how to use it. They know how to use it exactly for what they want to advance their objectives. And we have potentially some groups where there's a big disparity. Barack Obama and Joe Biden and, and you know, the Democratic Party, they're not going to tell you, right? They're not going to tell you that AI could have a harmful mass incarceration impact on your people specifically. They're not going to do anything about that, right? So it's upon us to first become aware of this gunpowder that's being developed and the gun that's being developed, 
right? And look at ways that we can collectively and individually play offense and defense with this technology. That there's going to be, it could be dramatic consequences if we don't create organizations that police this technology, that seeks to audit this technology, study it, research it, police it. And then organizations and businesses that use it, not just for profit, but of course, use it for good, right? So this is a technology that I would compare to gunpowder and guns, that this stuff is going to be used from a military standpoint as weapons, offense and defense, and from a business standpoint, is being weaponized right now. So whoever has the gun, right, for a long period, whoever has the gun has the gold. Okay, so the way the governments are moving, the way the Fortune 500 companies are moving is telling you whoever is in the real paint with the AI and more advanced with the AI is going to have the future gold. And it's going to be able to potentially strong arm those that don't. And so I believe that AI is a really, really big deal. And, you know, I'm a skeptic. I'm more on the skeptical side. I was skeptical about the crypto bubble and the crypto spook when Bitcoin was trading at about 66,000. Of course, myself and Mogulam put out, you know, warning after warning about this stuff is just a whole bunch of hype and spook and fluff. And of course, you saw prices, crypto prices fall about 70% after these warnings. And, you know, I even warned about Silicon Valley Bank in 2017. And of course, I sent it to one publication and they thought my writing was over the top. And what I was saying that when this Silicon Valley bubble would buzz, the startup tech bubble, when it would buzz, this bank was going to have big problems. I mentioned that in 2017 and potentially I was the first person in the world to flag this as being a problem when this bubble was going to come down. Okay. So, you know, my orientation is to, and more specialty is to spot out the spook or the fluff or what's not real. We just need time for people to see it's not real. However, right with chat GPT, my research and my understanding of it, sure, you know, there's a lot of hype with it, but a lot of it is very, very serious. And it's something that we have to pay attention to. So the next thing I want to go into is the thinking among many scientists that AI could be a threat to humanity. So Elon Musk has this point of view that if this thing is not regulated, this thing can become very dangerous. You're creating these intelligent robots where if that robot gets outside of your, your parameters, right? People are experimenting and now the robot is going out there doing things, you know, that are very harmful to the human population that, you know, this is a very real possibility because if this thing is trained to get smarter and smarter on its own, right, things could blow up 
in the society's uh, face. And let me give you an example. So in Fort Detrick, Maryland, right, this is a bioweapons kind of headquarters for the United States, okay, where they're playing with bioweapons. And so in Wuhan, before the pandemic, the U.S. government was funding, you know, this research effort that's related to COVID. The U.S. government, one of the agencies there is helping these researchers who are trying to play with this stuff at Wuhan. So the Chinese and the United States are playing with vaccines. You know, their intent may be, hey, if something happens in the future, we're going to play with this stuff and see if we can protect people. But as the scientists and the experts and Dr. Fauci who signed on to this stuff where they're tampering and playing with this stuff and they're doing it, hey, you know, we want to protect people in the future. But the leading theory is that people were playing with this stuff, experimenting with this stuff, potentially for good, but it blew up. Okay. Something got out. Okay. So something like that could happen with AI. Okay. Where you're, you're, you're developing this weapon or this technology where it becomes smarter and smarter. There could be bad actors, right? There's going to be, this is going to be a, a criminal's gold mine. You know, it's going to be like the California gold rush for criminals where the criminal is going to be using AI. The psychopath is going to be using AI. A rogue government, right, may want to use AI to hurt another population, okay? And let me give you another example. So let's say, you know, these mass shooters, right, they come and they may kill 10 kids or 20 or or 30 or 50 adults, right? They pull out automatic weapons and they're killing everybody and their goal is to kill, but they only have guns, right? And they're not really scared of one police officer or one security guard. Now, imagine if the prototype mass shooter has drones plus AI, where the AI is going to help them map the security, what happens if this happens, this and that. And so the AI with the drone and with that mass shooter, right, it could dramatically increase the death count. Okay, so the AI is going to be used by bad actors and it's likely to blow up in a lab somewhere where somebody's experimenting with it. Hey, I want to make this the smartest thing ever. It's going to do this. It's going to make me money and this and that. And there's going to be things that happen that people never thought of. One thing I want to highlight is Mark Andreessen. He's the the creator of the Netscape browser, and he's on the board of Facebook, and he's like the Pope of Silicon Valley. A little bit more about him is he met with Barack Obama in Silicon Valley before the election. And his assessment, which was very smart, his assessment of Barack Obama, he said he, he said he talked with Barack Obama for over an hour. And he said his assessment was he wasn't really going to do much. He wasn't a radical. And he's an insider. You know, this guy is, you know, he's, 
when I was in college, we used to talk about the Illuminati and these are the powerful people who are making these shots. I don't believe like I don't believe we should be focusing on that. I want to know about real people like Larry Fink, whose firm is managing 10 trillion and he's on the monopoly board and his people are all in the Biden administration. I want to know about Mark Andreessen, who's meeting with potential presidents and he's telling all his people who to back. Right. I'm not interested in all that conspiracy spoke the Illuminati. I want to I want to focus on the people I can see and the money I can count. Okay. So Mark Andreessen, the Pope of Silicon Valley, he meets with Barack Obama. I don't want to get sidetracked, but what he said was that this guy wasn't really going to change anything. So there's it's not really a threat to what we want to do and to our beautiful capitalist system. He's not going to ruffle any feathers, essentially. So the insider, and this gets to the point of this podcast, the insider who really knows how America works, the reality, he sizes Barack Obama up and he's like, this guy, he's not going to change much. Barack Obama's running on change and we're believing, me included, right? I was spooky too about Barack Obama. I wasn't that, I wasn't as smart as let's say Dr. Umar Johnson or Tavis Smiley or Cornell West are others who spotted the spook early. So I was spooky at that time, but essentially as it relates to Barack Obama, but in uh, 2008, Mark Anderson says, this guy, this guy's not going to change much. We have nothing to be worried about. Our system is going to be better. We're going to be fine. But the contrast of, I believe he's a white supremacist first. Let me put that out there. You know, he got mad about India rejecting some type of Facebook program. And he, he was talking about how that worked. How did that work out for you where you went on your own after colonialism? And of course, many people interpreted that as a, a racist statement, but he gave you some insights into how he thinks in terms of what he said about India. You can look it up in terms of his racist statement. So, He's believing that Barack Obama is not really going to change anything and he's no radical, but the black population, my population, we're thinking that this, oh my gosh, a black president, you know, things are going to change, you know, everything's not going to change, but some stuff's going to change and he could address some of these issues, but notice the big spread between the white supremacist insider who's in Silicon Valley, which would become to dominate the economy and politics in terms of tech, right? The insider knows the real in 2008, but a lot of us in the black population, we're spooky, the real and the spook at opposites. We're thinking Barack Obama is some type of, you know, Messiah figure, and he's already on Dr. King's level and our heads are in the clouds not realizing we're probably going to be left with nothing, you know, proportional to how we help put him in office and, you know, our contributions to his presidency. We're not getting something proportionate, right? Not anything, not anything close. We're just kind of go sit down, shut up. You should just be happy. You got a black president, right? But Mark Anderson at the time, he has the science and we have the spook. Okay, and this show is no, we're not going to be waiting, you know, five, 10 years to find out what's spook and what's science. We're going to close that gap as uh, soon as possible. 
So Mark Anderson, he puts out this message. You know, people are overplaying the threat to AI. You know, of course, Elon Musk, he, he believes it's going to be this. This could be an extinction event in terms of people playing around with, with the AI. And so he puts out why AI will save the world. And let me just give you some of his thoughts in terms of the positive aspects. Productivity growth throughout the economy will accelerate dramatically, driving economic growth, creation of new industries, creation of new jobs and wage growth, and resulting in a new era of highlighted material prosperity across the planet. This guy is selling spoke. Okay. It's like somebody saying Amazon uh, is creating all these jobs in these warehouses, but they're not telling you how many jobs Amazon is destroying. So when somebody says all these pluses are, are, are all these W's are being printed, we can't really assess that until we know how many L's are being printed, right? Don't tell me you're creating 100 jobs, but you're killing 500 jobs, right? I need to know the for me to know the full story, don't just tell me how many jobs you're creating. How many jobs are you are you going to kill? And how is that going to play out in terms of once this disruption is over? But, you know, another one of his points, every person will have an AI assistant, coach, mentor, trainer, advisor, therapist that is infinitely patient, infinitely compassionate, infinitely knowledgeable, and infinitely helpful. The AI assistant will be present through all of life's opportunities and challenges, maximizing every person's outcome. Every child will have an AI tutor that is infinitely patient, infinitely compassionate, infinitely knowledgeable, infinitely helpful. The AI tutor will be each child's side of every step of their development, helping them maximize their potential with the machine version of infinite love. Oh my gosh, this guy is just... You know, the biggest industry in the in the world is spoke. You know, people who can create rosy narratives, rosy religion, rosy marketing, and they're selling something to you. And it so happens what they're selling, it only has one-sided information. It's only has the most optimistic picture. It only has the W's, but it's going to keep the L's. It's going to keep the cost and only tell you about the potential benefits. It doesn't really go down the balance, the profit and loss and mathematically calculate things. It wants to just focus on the, the profit. It's not telling you about the loss. And so Another point, he makes scientific breakthroughs and new technologies and medicines will dramatically expand as AI helps us further decode the laws of nature and harvest them for our benefit. The last thing, because this guy has uh, so many points, I even think AI is going to improve warfare when it has to happen by reducing wartime death rates dramatically. Every war is characterized by terrible decisions made under intense pressure. And with sharply limited information by very limited human leaders, now military commanders and political leaders will have AI advisors that will help them make much better strategic and tactical decisions, minimizing risk, error, and unnecessary bloodshed. Now, I don't know about you, but if, if I go to chat GPT, I'm going to see errors, particularly where I have a lot of domain expertise. So you can ask ChatGPT a question about Malcolm X and their whole facts are distorted. 
in terms of that situation, right? Something that somebody has really, really been in the paint on and is well researched on, you're going to find flaws in chat GPT, right? So imagine if people are going to AI where there's, there's all these flaws and there's a lack of careful consideration and it spits out bad information and you're listening to it and you go do something that's impactful to the society. But the main point with these AI promoters who are going to hide, they're going to hide the costs and only tell you about the benefits. Okay. They're going to underplay the threat to humanity, the threat to black Americans specifically, the threat to jobs, right? They're going to underplay that stuff. And the reason that they're going to hide the information, the balance information is, right, they're profiting from it, right? So when you look at a guy like Mark Andreessen, this is someone who has sizable investments. He needs a new bubble to develop. Right. So there's a bubble that's being created with AI hype. You know, again, I believe a lot of it is real, but a lot of it is, of course, is hype. There's more hype than real. But, you know, this guy, he is perfectly positioned to profit if more people believe in AI, the hype, and it's not dangerous. Right. He could lose if you get regulators stepping in, you get independent black organizations and new organizations being funded that starts looking at this stuff with a lot of scrutiny, right? So if the, if the regulations and the organizations come in to police the AI, like we are policed, right? That's going to slow things down. It could dramatically slow things down if this stuff has to be investigated before there's some type of you know, AI pandemic like outbreak. Somebody's experimenting with this stuff and this stuff, you know, gets out of hand. Are there some type of big blow up somewhere? And, and then, of course, the Mark Andreessen's and the people say, oh, we didn't know that could happen. For example, in the financial crisis, the subprime mortgage crisis in 2008, 2009, right? The experts, they had no idea that this stuff could all implode and fall on them. Right, Bear Stearns, Lehman Brothers, the big banks, and the Federal Reserve is intervening. All this stuff is happening, and it looks like a straight up financial collapse is, is in play. All this stuff is happening, but you got to understand the people that are connected to the Wall Street banks and the major banks, they get rid of regulations, right, that could slow some of the creativity, the loose lending, and some of these products, the oversight, they get rid of the regulations. So the capitalists or the hyper-capitalists, they are trying to remove the regulations where you're watching everything. You're slowing down our money. These regulations are not needed. Let the free spirits go. You know, Just let us do what we want to do. Get out of our business. You're slowing down the economy. And then when the stuff blows up, Right. It falls on top of everybody. So these AI promoters who are just telling you about the potential W's and the positives and the job creation and all this other stuff, you got to think about, you know, their conflicts of interest that these billionaires, they don't care if it falls on black Americans, if it falls on America. Right. They're looking to get paid 
right? And they're always, 90% of the time, the person who's investing billions and billions of dollars, they're going to undervalue the risk and overappreciate the potential positive. Now, if things go wrong, right, there's no extra cost to them, right? So we have misaligned incentives. And so I just want you to be careful out there. If somebody is talking about AI, you want to make sure you're getting balanced information. And, you know, before I go on to my last point is how AI could impact Black Americans specifically, or one of the ways it could impact us specifically is that if in the society that the systems that have been set up, how the monopoly board is designed, I'm going to pull over more black Americans than white for the same thing, right? If I see a black person driving five miles per hour over the speed limit, he's getting pulled over or she's getting pulled over. If I see Becky in a Mercedes Benz going 20 miles over the speed limit, man, I don't have time for that right now. So if the society is malstructured and it's designed and enforced, right, disproportionately against Black Americans, the AI, just like weird science, you're feeding it the data, you're feeding it the data, and then you create the brain or the, the person you want. Well, if this information is being fed where you know anti-Black structural racism is in the society and it's in the data already, and you're feeding it the data, the AI is going to tell the bank, you go over there. You got to watch these applications over there. You got to reject these applications over there. It's going to tell the police, you got to be more over here because the data is telling me over here. So it's not going to look at it, right? With a consideration or considerations that we would need to have a just AI brain, a just AI recommendation, a just AI estimate. So it's going to magnify whatever biases, whatever anti-Black structures are out there. But the thing is, it's not just going to magnify it. It's going to be a super police officer in the bank, right? At the credit card company, at the school, the missions. And if the AI is being used and it's dumb in the sense that it can't consider these other factors, it just wants the data. I just want to be neutral. I just want the data. And I'm going to tell you based on the data, well, this is likely to be a super police officer that's going to have extreme negative consequences for black Americans, as the people are racing to make money with the AI, they're racing to create businesses, they want to be first, they're not caring about whether this is a just AI. They're not looking, considering the freedom, justice, and equality of black Americans. They're going to be looking to make money and move faster than the next competitor. And you can't trust the US government to be looking at this stuff either. So that's why we're going to need to raise awareness and, you know, form organizations to police this stuff. Because, you know, if you have a problem, if the majority of us have a problem, systemic problem with the police, you're going to have a bigger problem with the AI. So the last thing I want to uh, leave you with 
is something from the prophet of AI and chat GPT. His name is Sam Altman. And he said something interesting on Twitter. What he said was, this is after George Floyd. It's easy and good, but insufficient to tweet that Black Lives Matter. Here are some harder things. I grew up around anti-blackness in Missouri. Again, this is the, the top prophet of AI who launched ChatGPT and who is now partnered with Microsoft. I grew up around anti-blackness in Missouri. I thought I'd gotten rid of it in college. I had definitely not. I still haven't fully. I'm still noticing new ways I've overlooked black realities, but I sure want to. Pretending otherwise gets in the way of getting better. So he's acknowledging he has some stuff in him and he's grown up around a lot of anti-blackness. Growing up, he's like, man, I've seen it all over the place. Most likely he's talking about his family. Okay. I've been aware for a long time of systemic racism and the inequities around criminal justice. And I have not prioritized contributing to fixing them. He has not prioritized it. I think the other things I prioritize are important, but I wish I set the balance differently. Twitter activism doesn't cut it. I'm still trying to figure out how I can best personally contribute, but I commit to figure it out and will report back by the end of the month. So he finally says enough. Watch the murder videos, get uncomfortable, commit to figuring out what you can do. Love sign. So if the prophet of AI the prophet right now, the foremost prophet with the most disruptive technology or expression of AI to date. If some Altman is telling you he grew up around all this anti-black environment, I just saw, you know, I saw it all the time. And, you know, if he's telling, he's not saying it's low, it's medium, he's saying it's high. Okay. So if he grew up in that environment and he's Putting that in the open here, you know, I'm just going to give it to you raw. This is how I grew up. It highlights that the people who are developing these weapons, right, they grew up in a lot of them have grew up in these environments or they don't care about these factors that are relevant to us, these important factors that are important to us. So this is a this is a real threat. OK, because if you have psychopaths and and people who are greedy. I'm not saying he's a psychopath, okay? But if you have psychopaths and people chasing money and people who don't understand or are dumb and don't care about our history and our condition and the factors involved, they don't, I don't care one way, that's not my business. Let the government handle it, right? If these people are developing these weapons that are going to program information, program estimates, you know, recommendations, decide who gets hired and who who doesn't, who gets the business money and who doesn't. This is pointing to, we got to be very, very careful. Okay. And some of these people in the diversity complex are the startup context. They're just telling you, AI, let's make money. Let's make money. They could be like the tribe leaders who are partnering with the gunpowder sellers and who go out and do the enslavement and the damage, okay? 
So, you know, we have to really level up on offense and defense with this technology. And I want for you what I want for myself. So I'm studying it, using different tools to advance my objectives. And I want you, you know, if you have the time to increase your curiosity in this area and start looking at it. I'm not saying become an expert at it, but just start experimenting with it and using these tools in little ways and see if it could help you move faster, move more efficient. Peace.